I'm so glad that you are here today. We um, had a great week this week, and hopefully you had a good week this week. For those of you who are working, hopefully you had some time off right in the middle of your week, with it being July 3rd, or July 4th on Wednesday, right in the middle of the week, that gave us like this day off. It was super weird for me, because it kind of threw off the entire week. I don't know if that did that for you. I know many who are getting ready to go on vacation and take vacation right around it so they could get some time away. Um, but, but I ask that you would be praying this last week, and so I hope you took advantage of that, and you were praying for our nation this last week, and praying for the church, and praying for our leadership, and just asking for God to move in each and every one of those situations, and so hopefully you've been doing that, um, and you did that this last week, but I also hope that you got just a little relaxation this week, that you got a chance to kick back and and also just got some time with your family. It was uh, Wednesday, we as a family, I have a hard time paying for fireworks because like you spend the money on them and then they're gone. And then it's like you just drain that. I, I, I have a hard time paying for it, but I do not have a hard time watching fireworks that other people have paid for. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's awesome. And so we got in our car, and uh, we drove, or in our truck, we brought little lawn chairs, and we watched, we drove around until we found some people who were lighting off some good-sized fireworks, and we just, like, a couple of times, we heard these bangs. We're like, are they shooting at us? Because we were, like, parked in their front driveway. <laughs> anyway, so we're just sitting there. We're, like, watching. The kids are, like, having a great time, and I'm the one who's like, okay, that did not sound like a firework. Not sure which way that one's going. So, but we had a great time. We spent the vast majority of the week, though, in the pool, in the water, because it was that kind of a week with how hot it is. Um, last year, we, we brought our kids to a friend's house to do a, a pool party, and we realized that they couldn't swim, and that they, which is not shocker, because we never taught them to swim, and they hadn't spent a lot of time in water. But, like, they were not comfortable at all. And so felt like, you know what, we need to take some steps to kind of remedy that. And so last year we, we signed them up for some uh, swimming lessons up at MSU. They have a great swimming lesson pr program there, super cheap, and really very good, excellent. We've had great teachers. But so they took the first lesson or set of lessons, and it was seven lessons, and as they were doing the lessons, we realized that, like, they were terrible at it. Like, they're not going to be Michael Phelps. And I'm okay with that, but, like, as I'm watching them, like, they were having a hard time even getting their head underwater. And we're paying for them to sit on the side of the pool too afraid to jump in. I'm like, okay, maybe we need to take an intermediate step. So we didn't continue the lessons. Instead, what we did was we, we got one of those $100 pools at Walmart that are, like, 30 inches deep and 12 feet wide and we got this little pool, and they learned how to go underwater and, and got used to the water. And last year, they were doing fantastic, and they loved it so much. I didn't expect that pool to last past one year because it's so cheap. And, and yet, at the end of the year, like, we folded it up and hoped that it would come back. And so all winter long, Asher's asking me. It's like January, February. There's ice out. He's like, can we set the pool up? And I'm like, no, Asher, it's too cold. We'll wait until it gets hot, and then you'll really have a good time. And so we waited and waited and waited and waited until about May when it started really warming up, and we set up that pool. And so they have just 
loved it. And so now they went back to swimming lessons. They're doing so much better. They're like actually learning to actually swim. And uh, so I'm feeling better about it because now I feel better about them getting into water where I'm not like 100% sure if, if it's like, if they're going to be okay, like the depth wise. And, and I never learned to go s- to swim until I was much uh, later in life, like a, a teenager, late teenager. I didn't learn to swim until, you know, um, until probably passed I should have. And so that's part of the reason why we want to go by that. Which is interesting because I grew up right on Lake Michigan. Um, love, love, love Lake Michigan. I don't know if you know this, but Lake Michigan has the largest um, surface area of any freshwater lake in the world more than Lake Superior. And, and I say that because if you don't know this, Lake Huron and Lake Michigan are actually one lake, right? They, they don't admit it, but they are. Because like, it technically is true. And if you ask somebody who knows about lakes, they'll tell you that. So Lake Michigan is the largest lake. And I love Lake Michigan, but I didn't learn to go swimming in Lake Michigan. When we were younger, every year, we'd go to my grandparents' house and their house was literally right on the beach. And so you could go out the back door, and there were like five steps down past the storm wall to the white sandy beach. Backyard was the beach, and we would go swimming. And every year, we would go right around now. This is the time when we would head to to Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and, and we would spend the entire week going swimming. I have three sisters and three bro- or two brothers, so there's six of us total, and they go in order, girl, 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 boy, 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 and we're all two years apart. I don't know how my parents did that, if they had like a calendar or if they had like a, an alarm clock. I don't know, but they did it, and it's very impressive. Two years apart, three girls, then three boys, okay? So the three girls would go up first, and they would spend a week with my grandparents. And then the next week, I and my brothers would go up. And we would always spend the day the exact same way. We would start the day out by doing chores around the place. My grandparents would pay us money. They'd give us quarters and dimes and nickels, and we would be so rich, right? And we would get all these dimes and quarters and nickels, and then we would spend our afternoon swimming in Lake Michigan, and then we would come back inside for dinner, and after dinner, then we would play blackjack, and they would take all of the money back. I have never struggled with gambling because, like, it is the worst idea ever. Everything you make, you end up giving to somebody else. They taught me a valuable lesson, and I'm sure that's what they were trying to do. But I was okay with it because, because I got to spend all afternoon, and they would wait. They were super, they were, (laughs) I couldn't swim. And here, okay, I couldn't swim, but we would go out to, like, chest deep in the water. And when I, and there's three boys, and when there's three boys together, boy, you get in all kinds of trouble. And we would do ridiculously dumb things. We had these inner tubes that I think were from the tire of a truck, and we got these massive inner tubes, and we would go to where it was chest deep, and I could not swim, and we would wait until the waves were huge and blow us over, and it was awesome, and we loved it. And, and I didn't think about the fact that I didn't know how to swim, And always, I would turn around and there would be nobody on the beach. Like no parents, no grandparents. My grandparents were inside watching Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) 
There's no David Hasselhoff, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no safety net. It would just be the three boys out in the water taking this risk, and, and it was like we were totally cool with that. Nowadays, like, I don't let my kids into that 30-inch pool without, because it says right on the outside of it, do not allow your kids to go swimming unattended. And so I'm sitting there. Even if I'm not in the pool, I'm like watching them. Like they never get in the pool without me being there because something bad could happen. But back then, I don't know if we were more replaceable. Like if my, my parents were able to, you know. And so for them, it's like not a big deal. If they lose one, they can get another one. I mean, whatever. But now we're not that way. But then it was like we could be out in the chest deep water doing all these dumb things and everybody was okay with it. Except I always had, when I was out in the water, I always had this weird sense like as much as I loved it, and I knew, I guess I knew I couldn't swim, there was like this baseline of fear. I don't know if I can describe it. Like, I always had this baseline of fear because while you're getting bowled over by these waves, when you stop and think about it and you look around, and if you've never been to one of the Great Lakes or never been to an ocean, you don't know what it's like. But when you can see no land in front of you and you have seen the storms on that water, you know that you are not in control. Right? Like you look at it and you're like, I am small. And this is big. And I do not control what happens here. One time I remember to this day a storm that blew up on Lake Michigan. And I remember that the waves came in crashing so hard. It's the only time it's ever happened. The storm wall was only about as tall as this stage, maybe two and a half, three feet, whatever that is. And, and the water came crashing up against it. And I remember it bouncing back over. And you look at it and you say, okay, that's real power. And I don't have that. What I love about the Bible is that we find stories in it that I find my own story in. What I love about the Bible is that so many times the stories that I read there speak directly to my own story and like what I'm going through so perfectly. And I want to read a story today that is a great story Great story of something that happened during Jesus' ministry. So if you would grab your Bibles uh, this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some that are spread out in the seats around you. They're the hard-backed ones. And, and if you would grab one of those Bibles, pull it over. And, and uh, once you have it, open it up to the book of Luke. The book of Luke today. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible that you find in the seats right around you is actually our gift to you, and we would love it if you would just take that Bible home and have it as our gift. Uh, anytime we have to replace a Bible, we just love it. So uh, take that Bible home. Uh, it, we're going to be in the book of Luke, and if you have one of those Bibles that are in the seats right around you, it'll be page 865, page 865, okay? Uh, Luke and we'll be in chapter 8. What's going on where we're going to be reading today is uh, this is at the end of a long day in Jesus' ministry. And the thing about Jesus' ministry was the vast majority of it, maybe as much as like 85% of Jesus' ministry happened around one little lake in northern Israel. And this one little lake is a really interesting lake because it's so far uh, below sea level. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's not a sea. It's actually the lowest freshwater lake 
on the face of the earth, okay? And it's almost the lowest lake on the face of the earth. The lowest lake on the face of the earth is a saltwater lake that's about 65 miles south of it called the Dead Sea. And these lakes are so far down that they, there's no other lakes in the world that compare to it. It's, it's depressed. It's down in the ground. And this is a freshwater lake called the Sea of Galilee. vast majority of Jesus' ministry happens right around this lake. He does miracles around this lake. This is the lake that he walks on. This is the lake that when he's calling his disciples, the majority of his disciples come from right in this area. And they did, they were mostly fishermen. Well, not mostly. At least a third of them were fishermen who worked on this lake. And it's called the Sea of Galilee. Jesus did his teaching around this lake. He did miracles around this lake. He, when he climbs up on a mountain, he does the Sermon on a Mount. It happens probably on a mountain right next to this lake. And so what we're reading today is something that happens at the end of a long day where Jesus has been teaching all day long. And, and some of the stories and some of the messages that we like that are classic Jesus messages happened on this day. Like when he talks about the mustard seed and faith. That happened on this day. This is the day that he gives that teaching. And it's also the day when he talks about the soils and the different kinds of soil and planting seed and how you get good soil or plant good seed and good soil. And so at the end of this long day of teaching, at least some of the day, there's such a big crowd that it says he climbs out, it gets out in a boat and pulls out from shore just a little bit. And I don't know what that looked like, but it happened. And he's in this boat and he's preaching to people who are on the shore. He's sharing these things with them and teaching them these things. And we're going to pick up at the end of that day in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And here in Luke, it doesn't tell us all of those things, but this same story you find in two of the other Gospels. And in those, you can pick up some of those additional details. But here in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, here's what it says. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Now, when it says he got into a boat, probably not a rental boat. We don't know whose boat it was, but it was probably one of the disciples' boats. Um, And and so, again, where we know that at least a third of his disciples were fishermen, it may have been more than that, Um, because after Jesus' is dies on the cross, and the disciples go, hey, what do we do now? Seven of them, first thing that comes to mind, hey, let's go fishing. And they come back to this lake, and they go fishing on this lake. So maybe more than half of them are fishermen. We don't know. We don't know all of their, uh, uh, what they do. We know some of them. And, and so a bunch of them, though, are fishermen on this lake, and so it's someone's boat. And he's heading from the northwest corner down to the southeast corner. And so about eight and a half mile trip, I guess, after it's all said and done. And it's going right through the deepest part of the lake. And they're headed that way. And as they do, it says, as they set out, that Jesus fell asleep. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. It's the only place in scripture where it says that Jesus was sleeping. Um... Now, he obviously slept. There were other places where it said that he was wiped out, like he was, he was weary, he was, it was a long day, it was difficult, and he was tired. It says that, and we know that Jesus slept just like we sleep, and we got tired as just like we get tired. And, and so, but here it says that he falls asleep, and when it says asleep, this isn't a cat nap. This is the only place you find this word in Scripture. It's, this, it's like a deep 
deep, snoring sleep. Jesus is out and he's out cold. And so he falls asleep because it's been a long day and there's been a ton of work and he's been preaching and he's been teaching. And after all of it's said and done, he gets in this boat and they set out. And as they set out, the gentle rocking of the waves, he goes back to the back of the boat and he's gone. He's out. Okay? So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. I love the Bible. Here's why I love the Bible. Because it tells us so much with so few words and leaves you wanting so much more. That's what I love about it. Because here it talks about the fact that, okay, so they set out, they're going across the lake, And when it does, it says a windstorm. And the word for windstorm here, I love it. It's actually two words because they really want you to know that it was windy. It's a windy storm of wind. So they want you to know this is a big storm. And some people actually think that this is actually like a a tornado type of windstorm on the water. Like it's that big of a deal. So this storm blows down. And it says specifically, and a windstorm came down on the lake. What I love about that is, It's so beautiful because it's so perfect and right. Like the way it says it is meteorologically, if that's a word, correct. The windstorm came down on the lake. Remember, this lake is the lowest lake, freshwater lake on the face of the earth. And yet it's surrounded. It has ringed, it's ringed by mountains on the side. So you have this cold water. I watched KY3. Cold air blowing over the top of those mountains blows down into the, the, the water and, or down on top of the water. And you've got warm air coming up from the water. And I don't know how it all works, but you mix warm air and cold air and it starts to spin And so you have these regular storms that quickly blow up on this lake. And so when it says that a windstorm came down on the lake, like literally, that's a perfect description of what happened before they knew about the meteorological causes of this sort of thing. I love it. And and then it says that uh, even as this storm blows down or comes down on the lake, it says, and they were filling with water and were in danger. It's like you get a little bit of detail, but you know there's so much more there. Because remember, these are fishermen who are used to this lake and know this lake and were raised on this lake. Their parents, their dads taught them how to sail on this lake. They know the deep spots. They know the shallow spots. They know where all the fish is. They know those things. And here they are going across this lake and this storm comes in and it doesn't give you any details of when they realized they were in trouble. You know, like it doesn't say that Peter turned to John and said, oh boy, I think this is going to be a doozy, you know. Like I think, I think the air is coming in over the mountains, man. Like, you don't see any of that. It just says that the storm blew in, and it says that they started to fill with water, and they were in danger. Like, there's no, like, the water started getting choppy, and they started getting nervous. 
And so they started heading towards the land, but it was too late. The storm was blowing in. It doesn't tell you any of that. It just tells you that it gets to the point where water is coming over the side of the boat, and it says they were in danger. So as they're in danger, it says, and they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. There's a couple things that I just find brilliant about this. Number one, Jesus is still sleeping. <laughs> like I'm sure when he first got in the boat and he's, the waves are nice and rolling, that it was a nice rocking experience. And it probably rocked him right to sleep. That, I'm sure that's what happened. But when those waves get a little bit choppier... Boy, it's not as fun of a rocking experience. Like his head started probably rattling back and forth. I mean, this is, it's, it's a real storm. And more than that, it says water is going over the sides of the boat as he's laying in the back of it. Now, wait a second. Here's what you need to do. Try an experiment for me tonight. If you're married, here's what you need to do. Wait until your spouse is sound asleep. You go to the kitchen, you get a nice cold glass of ice water. Try this experiment out. Walk over to them. And if you, if, if you want to do it on your kids, totally cool with that too. It, whatever works for you. But wait until they're really out cold. Walk over to their head and dump the water on them. And see what happens. See if they wake up. Right? And if they get mad, you can just tell them the preacher told me to do it. You made me come to church with you, so this is what you get, okay? So, but dump the water on their heads, see if they wake up. I would bet, and, and film it, and then put it on Facebook and call it the Jesus Challenge. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do there. But see if they wake up. And, and I bet you 99.99999% of them will be like, you know, they will be up, and they'll be up, like, awake really quickly. But Jesus, still out cold. He is out, and he's out hard. Like, he's a hard sleeper. And the water's splashing on him, he's still out. Either that or he's faking it. And the Bible doesn't say that. He's the son of God. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's probably faking it. So I just think that's brilliant. Jesus is still out. That, and the second thing I think is brilliant is who is the one guy in the boat who really should have no advice to give on this. They're fishermen. They cut their teeth on boats in this water. They know all about the storms blowing in over the mountains. This isn't their first big rodeo. Their parents are the ones who taught them how to sail this water, and they know all about the fishing. I mean, they, when Jesus called them, you know what they were doing? Fishing. And you know what happens after Jesus dies? Hey, let's go fishing. They know all about this. The one guy in the boat who shouldn't have advice to give is the carpenter. If you need help figuring out how to hammer something, go talk to the carpenter. Like there are certain things I can give you advice on. But there are certain things I know nothing about. Like if you want to talk about football, I can talk all day about football. But if you want to talk to me about the World Cup and who's going to win, I got nothing. 
Like, it's not even a sport, you know? And so I've got no advice to give there. If you want to talk about baseball, the only thing I know is that the Cardinals will probably beat the Cubs. I mean, if you want to talk about how to catch crappie, don't talk to me. If you want to know how to catch medium mouth bass, I know nothing about that. Like, I've got nothing. If you want to talk about the Bible, I could probably share a few things. But, like, there are certain things I can give no advice on. And who do they turn to when they've given it all they've got? Like, they've, they've tried all the stuff they know to try. They've realized this storm is bigger than anything we've experienced before, and we're in real trouble. Who do they go to? The one guy who shouldn't have advice to give them. And why is that? Because they're not looking for advice. They're not going to Jesus to have him tell them, no, you need to trim that sail a little to the left and we'll get back on track. They're not going to Jesus to tell him, hey, maybe if you turn that rudder a little to the right, we'll make it through that next big wave. They're not going to Jesus for advice at all. Why are they going to Jesus? Because they gave it all that they've got, and after they gave it everything they had, it was not enough. And so they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. And they're hoping against hope that this guy that they've seen do miracles before will do a miracle again. Maybe, just maybe, he can save them. They're not looking for a little adjustment. They're looking for salvation. And so they go to him and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. They wake him up. And he said, they say, and they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And, and so what does he do? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was calm. So he wakes up. And he speaks up. He says, settle down. And the winds stop. And the waves stop. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen winds blowing waves. But when the winds stop, the waves typically continue for a while. Until they hit the shore and go back the other direction and come back again and slowly they dissipate and go down to a complete calm. But it's certainly not immediate. And so Jesus speaks and not only do the wind stop blowing but he underlies or undermines the very physics of the way water and fluids go back and forth. And these waves that were running really hard and all the noise and all the wind and everybody yelling at each other, all of a sudden it goes silent. Have you ever been in a room where it's super loud and there's lots of people talking and you're talking to the person next to you so you have to talk really loud and you're saying something that quite honestly shouldn't be said like it's embarrassing or something? And you have to say it so loud and the moment you start saying it, everybody else stops talking 
and you're still going and you can't stop and it's too late and then it's been said and everybody's looking back at you. Yeah, me either. That's totally never happened to me. No, I can't share what those things were said, but I kind of picture this that same way. Like these disciples are all yelling at each other as the wind's like really loud and blowing around them. And I kind of picture Andrew over here yelling to his brother, hey, I think I wet myself. And like right as he says, hey, like everybody else stops talking and everybody looks over at Andrew. And Andrew's like, the waves, the waves, the waves. The waves. That's the way I picture it happening. But anyway, so it gets totally silent. Why? Because Jesus awoke, and Jesus spoke, and the waves and the winds broke. I love it. Love it. I love the way Jesus does this. I love the fact that whatever was going on before stops, and it's completely calm, and it's completely peaceful, and it's completely still. And then it says, right after that happens, and he said to them, where is your faith? Now, I used to think that this story was about having enough faith to speak to the storms in the same way Jesus spoke to the storms. I used to believe that the point of this story was to have enough faith to be able to say to the storms, cease, be still, peace, be still, and that it would all stop. But I don't think that's the point anymore. And the reason why is because what they say to Jesus is completely true. In verse 24, here in Luke, when they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. They're spot on. They have given it all they've got. They've trimmed the sails and they've done all that they know to do. All that they, they, they as fishermen, know what to do and they've done it. And when it came down to it, it wasn't enough. It got them as far as it could get them. But then when it comes down to it, they're still perishing, right? And so they say to Jesus, master, master, we are perishing. Spot on, totally true except for one fact. Jesus is in the boat, Right? So the point of this story is not about having enough faith. It's about having faith in Jesus in order that he's in the boat because that boat's not going to sink. The point is that Jesus was in the boat and they're fine. So they say, he says to them, and, and, and where is your faith? And then it says, and they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Now, that is not what I expected that to say. And they were afraid, and they marveled. Wait a second. Shouldn't it say, and they were relieved, and they marveled? Shouldn't it say, whoo, glad that's over. Shouldn't they have been afraid while the storm was going, but now that the storm is over and the water is peaceful and calm, shouldn't at this point it say, and they were relieved and they marveled? Because that's not what it says. It says, and they were afraid and they marveled. Why is that? Well, if you've seen the unbridled fury and power of a storm on open waters. 
one storm, one storm can have enough power that it would have 200 times the electrical generating capacity of all that we've got in the whole world. One storm can provide 200 times that electrical capacity. You see that kind of power on open seas. You see that kind of fury, that kind of energy. And then you see somebody stand up to it, speak a word, and it stop. You know what those disciples were doing? They were looking at Jesus out of the corner of their eye. They're remembering Psalm 65, 7, where it says, Oh, God of my salvation, who calms the raging seas, who calms the raging waves. And then they think of Psalm 107, verse 25, or 28 and verse 29, where it says, And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And he's in the boat with them. Um, When Peter was first called by Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Because he wasn't catching any fish. And so Peter throws his net on the other side of the boat and he pulls it in and there's fish there. And he goes, okay, there's something different about this guy. He can tell me where to fish. That's amazing. And you know what his response was? Away from me, because I'm full of sin. Because he told him where to fish. The first reaction is, I'm full of sin. And boy, you're holy. And, and I can't be near you. And so you better just get away from me. And here they are in the boat with the guy who spoke a word and everything stopped. Can you imagine what's going through their minds? Can I swim that far? Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's nowhere for them to go. And their initial reaction is, oh man, I am not able to be in a boat with him. They say, who then is this? Who then is this that he commands even winds and waters and they obey him? This is the central question of the gospel. Who then is this? Who then is this? And this is the question that we need to ask ourselves too. In fact, there's really two questions in this story that I think we need to ask ourselves. The first is the question that Jesus asks them. He said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? That's a question we don't like to ask ourselves, I think, sometimes because I think sometimes, I don't, I don't know that we would like the answer we find. And, and, and I think sometimes we would ask that, where is my faith? Like if we were to legitimately ask it. I mean, do we believe this story? This is a really important question today. Is this story legit or not? Did this really happen? 
Did Jesus really go out in a boat and speak to waves and to storms and everything ceased? Because if it did, then we need to react to that. Now, if I say, oh, I don't believe that, that's fine. We can start and we can have a conversation based on that. I don't believe it? Fine. Let's begin there. What about the fact that there are three separate gospel writers who write the same story? And why would they tell anything but the truth? And they have the same basic story. You can read all three of them. But let's say that maybe it is true. What if it actually is? Then boy, I need to react to that. Because if I have no other stories in the gospel, if I have no other miracles, if I have no other healings, if I don't have Jesus walking on water, this one story is enough for me to have to say, okay, That means he's God, because that is the prerogative of God. And if he's God, and he is who he said he is, then he came to do what he said he came to do. And if he came to do what he said he came to do, which was to seek and to save the lost, boy, then I need to react to that too. So where is my faith? Where do I start? And each of us... I have to ask that question. I had to ask that question 20 years ago. I was in my living room and I was sitting there with my mom who did her best to raise me in church. And when it came down to it, I had to look at my mother and say to her, Mom, I cannot believe because you believe. If this is true, I need to believe that for myself. So I got to figure this thing out, Mom. And right now I don't believe. And that began the path for me. Starts with, where is my faith? And honestly asking the question, do I believe what this says in this story? Because if it's true, then I have to react to it. Who then is this? Who then is this? Who can, with a word, have the authority to speak to storms and make them cease? Who then is this? who can stand up, maybe stretch, (laughs) and say, peace be still. And, And not only does the storm stop, which is incredible, but then the waves, which were moving back and forth, just drop flat and it's calm. Who then is this? Who is this? And Jesus asks this question of Peter and of the disciples. He says, who do you say that I am? Because if this is true, and if Jesus is who he said he is, then we are just like the disciples in this boat. We can give it the best that we can give it. And when it comes down to it, the very thing that maybe we define ourselves on, the very thing that we would say, man, this is who I am, and this is the way I was raised, and this is what I'm good at, and here is, if I give it my very best, when it comes down to it, it will not be enough. We can give it all that we've got, and maybe we pride ourselves on one thing or another, but here's the thing about life. We want it to be like it's a little kind of kiddie pool, (laughs) 
where it's kind of this far and no further and we know that everything's going to be easy across it. But that's not the way life works. For thousands of years, life has been compared over and over and over again to a storm on a sea. And the reason why is because you cannot control it. And everything might be going great one day and the next day all of a sudden, wham, you're knocked off and you have no idea what's going on. And the thing that you prided yourself on being and who you were and what you were about and the very best things I can do, all of that can be stripped away in a moment. And if we give it all we've got, when it still comes down to it, we still fall short. And scripture says, if this is true, scripture says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us can get it down. I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and my parents have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and my friends and those people that we think are the best of the best have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the message of the gospel is this, that when we cry out, Lord, Lord, we are perishing, that Jesus says back to us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And Jesus says to us, yes, cry out, I am perishing. I cannot do it. I've given it all that I can give. And when it comes down to it, I don't have what it takes But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus says. That's the promise of the gospel. Yes, I've sinned. Yes, I've fallen short. But guess what? If I believe in my heart that this is true, if I believe that this story is true and that the stories that I find in here are true and that God raised Jesus from the dead, if I believe that, And then if I confess it, if I speak out and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, make him Lord of my life, I put my faith in him, then we will be saved. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of the story. Lord, Lord, we are perishing. Yes, you are. And you cannot do this on your own. But I'm in the boat. You put your faith in me. And you will be saved the promise of the gospel. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me today. We're going to end with prayer, and what we're going to do over this next moment is so vitally important. So vitally important. Because the thing about coming to Jesus is we do not come to him asking, hey, would you give me a little bit of advice? We don't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I just need to get back on course. And I've been knocked off course a little bit, and so could you just give me a couple of pointers so that I can get things lined back out? That's not the way it works. We don't come to him for advice. We come to him because when it came down to it, we didn't have what it took, and we realize that, and we say, Lord, Lord, I am perishing. And then, and then, He stands and he calms the storm. That's why this is so vitally important. 
is what we're going to do in a moment as I pray is I'm going to pray that very prayer. I'm going to pray that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives. And we're going to believe that God raised him from the dead, that he died on the cross for our sins. And that in that, he provided a path for us to be made right with God and to have salvation. And as I pray that prayer, I'm going to ask if you're in here and you've never done it before, maybe you're here because someone wanted you to come and so you came. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. But it's not about anybody but you and God right now. And we have to say before him, oh God, I put my faith in you. You are Lord of my life. And as you speak that word, the promise of scripture is that you will have salvation. The promise of scripture is that he will deliver you. The promise of scripture will Jesus Christ will do the one thing that nobody else can do for you and you cannot do for yourself. You will have salvation. That's the promise of scripture and I believe it because I've seen it over and over and over again. So if you would pray with me right now. Father, we come to you as those who cannot get it done on our own, oh God. We are just like the disciples in the boat here who maybe we prided ourselves on getting it done. God, maybe we're like the disciples here where there's something that we define ourselves on and maybe that's been stripped away. And we no longer have that. And that's who I am. And it's gone. Because life is like that sometimes. And God, in the midst of all of that, we recognize that there is one who can save us. We recognize that there is one about the scriptures all point to. There's one who can provide salvation. And he came in order that that salvation might be mine. Jesus Christ came in order that I would not perish. And so, Lord, I just put my faith in him today and all across this room. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in the fact that God raised him from the dead, that he is alive today, that he is no longer in a grave. We put our faith in the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. And right now we speak and we declare that he is Lord of our lives. We give our lives over to you and we ask that you would do in us what you want to do. Deliver us today, oh God. And Father, we say without you we are perishing. We cannot do this. But oh God, Jesus Christ is enough. And Jesus Christ can provide salvation for us. So we accept him today. We put our faith in him today. And we ask in every situation that he would be Lord, Lord over it. Master over it. Master, master over it. Father, I pray for any in this room right now who maybe are just going through it right now. In the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would be working in that situation. Lord, we don't know how it ends, but we do know that if we make you Lord, that you will turn all things together for good for those who love you. So work in those situations. And and over and over, oh God, we want a life that we can control. and, And yet, Lord, we release that control to you and we just put our faith in you and we ask for you to work in each and every one of these situations. Move in us today, we ask. 
We thank you for it. In your name, Jesus. Amen.